Hello and welcome to Divisive Issues, a foul mouth spoiler-filled comic book podcast where we talk about controversial, silly, and sometimes interesting comic books and comic book history. I'm Sly. I'm Ryan. I'm Phil. And I'm Daryl. And I just want to say, we I don't think we've ever mentioned this at the top of the show. If you're new, Phil and Daryl hate comics. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate them. These ones we read for this week, I do hate. <laughs> That's what's usually... funny. It's like, we're like, we don't hate them, but like, these were some of the worst we've read. <laughs> not, no, not, not just the worst comics, like the worst words and pictures I've ever looked at. Like, I really, yeah. really hated this. But we never mentioned that, like, Sly and I love comics, and Phil and Daryl tolerate them. <laughs> tolerate. Yeah. Tolerate's, Tolerate's good. good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> okay, so Sly had this idea. What was this? What was this idea? Uh, Ryan had it too. I forget. I think he brought up first, and I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever, whatever the fuck. <laughs> One of us came up with this idea of talking about how Stanley uh, in comics, uh, how he's portrayed in comics. Who's Stanley? Like, uh, good question. What, like, what's no a comic? <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Explain the reality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, what, what can we truly yeah, know? Totally equivalent questions. <laughs> Well, if you know anything about, if you're listening to podcasts called Divisive Issues, don't know Stanley is, you should, I don't know. Like, you really wanted to say fuck know. off, didn't you? He's that old guy that shows up in every fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Stanley, uh, he, he was one of the biggest creators in Marvel. He co created uh, Spider Man. Just about everybody. Doctor Strange, yeah. Like, almost like a lot of the ones in the films you see. Like, a lot of the, the film, Marvel Universe, uh, the cinematic universe stuff is going to his stuff that Stanley created specifically. And like the order he created them, almost. Uh, everyone has the image of Stanley as his great granddaddy who created comic books. He's like, it's one of those things where never meet your your the people you idolize because they're the bad people in your life most of the time, as evidenced by the Me Too movement and all that shit. Because mm-hmm. uh, everyone loves Stanley because of like the way he's portrayed in the media and stuff like that. But everyone that worked with Stanley uh, fucking hated him, as evidenced <laughs> by these comics. So uh, we're gonna get into that, like how uh, Stanley was portrayed in the comic books by the people he worked with so just like in the movies he cameos in books sometimes but unlike the movies he's not just like hey i'm fun hi it's usually like fuck this guy <laughs> i'm gonna steal your ideas and i'm going to put my name on it kind of shit like, so one of the main things about stanley and stanley's really one of my favorite comic creators of all time and has written some of my all-time favorite books ever but he was the like most comic book creators were not businessmen and he was like, I'm going to basically get credit for everything. There's a reason why when you get a Marvel book, it still says Stanley Presents on it. Even though he hasn't really written a book regularly in decades. It's yep. just, he just like owns everything. And most of the artists that he worked with, which also created stuff, would be like, no, this is mine. And he'd be like, nope, it's mine. Fuck you. You didn't sign the right contracts. And we should note that the Marvel method that Stanley really wrote under was the, the it was called the Marvel Method because it was like when Marvel first came out like that this is how all the comics are written. Stanley will give a pitch to an artist. The artist will then draw out the issue, and Stanley will write the words afterwards. So basically, the artists were in charge of plotting it, the designs, and like oh. like eighty percent of the stories. That's and- why like the writing in those comics, at least from the few we've read of Stanley, just feel like superfluous. Mm. They were after the fact. Yeah, it's just like it's kind of like commentary most of the time, rather than driving yeah. the narrative. Like, there's no, there's no thing of like someone reacting like to what someone's saying. Usually. Yeah, because it's always like, like apparently the way it's created, it could exist totally without the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's a- one of the reasons why. When you compare Silver Age Marvel and DC, Marvel was much more dynamic and art-oriented because you would see, like, Gene Colan or Jack Kirby doing these, like, dynamic shots because they were telling the story first. Mm. And then Stan would go in and pepper things himself. Now, I don't want to discredit, though, because when you look at, like, characters like Spider-Man or, you know, like, the Fantastic Four, a lot of times it is the dialogue that makes you love these characters. So I don't want to say that Stan Lee did nothing. Mm. But we but, should clarify. We should clarify that uh, Stanley, like Mar- what we said before, but Marvel was the first time that uh, like teams actually fought against each other and they bickered and stuff like that, and that was a lot of Stanley's doing. It's really that was the first time comic book characters had personalities. Yeah, before they're all like, "I'm heroic. I'm going to save the day." Basically, yeah, they're like uh, virtuous figures from like mythology, kind of a thing. Yes, just one yes. one note. Yeah. So and and I agree with Ryan that uh, Stanley. Like I like a lot of the stuff from the '60s. I read from him. Like they're just fun to read, especially for the time. Uh, but uh, it is noteworthy that a lot of these writers, uh, the artists that he worked with, went on to do better stuff than the stuff they would do with Stanley. While Stanley pretty much went to shit after he stopped like writing in the sixties. Like by the eighties, he was writing shit like Nightcap about a pop star who becomes a superhero by night. Didn't he do Stripperella at one point? I think so. He did Stripperella. <laughs> yes, like it's, it's very telling. Um, 
the, the creators he worked with, like the artists he worked with, went on to basically create the Marvel Universe, create the, the DC Universe, like the galaxy, the stuff that's being adapted now for, for like the Justice League movie, for like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity mm, War. Yeah. They're the, 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 the created that stuff while Stanley kind of deteriorated as a writer over time. So yeah, like of... Stanley kind of peaked in like the late 60s where like Steve Ditko went on to create like the Blue Beetle and the Question we've covered before. Mm-hmm. And like Jack Kirby went on to create a million characters and he also did the herculoids that's cool <laughs> hey i used to watch that when i was a kid <laughs> didn't you do guardian oh yeah. he did create guardian after <laughs> well, he, he created oh. guardian like in the 40s that's yeah, even but, better yeah but he created guardian because he originally created captain america but he lost the rights to captain america so he created guardian after. <laughs> that's also when he created fighting american who's exactly what he sounds <laughs> oh, like yeah. he, created, he created a lot of captain america because he <laughs> wanted to want those rights back but he couldn't get them back he's like shit uh. <laughs> Couldn't he just but, be, like, Sergeant USA or something? Well, that's what Fight American was, basically. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but anyway, let's get into the actual stories. Uh, or at least we're going to kind of abridge them, because they're fucking crazy. <laughs> stories were they're more than just crazy, because we've read a lot of crazy stories on the show. They were, like, impossible to read. Like, I, I really yeah. co- I, I couldn't get through them. I was like, I, I'm just going to not be on this episode, because I can't <laughs> read these comics. Yeah. So this is a conundrum we came into, because all these stories happen in the middle of larger runs. Basically... All these writers, all these artists, after they quit working for Stanley, were like, let's create these big, expansive universes, create all these characters come together. So basically, they were creating... And this was before, like, you would buy trades. Like, it was before collected editions existed. So it was really, like, there was no... Nobody was making things that were accessible at this point for some reason. <laughs> and on top of that, they're throwing in jabs at their former boss. Yeah. It's the Wild West out there. People now complain about Infinity War, Infinity War being hard to follow if you don't follow the other Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Imagine Infinity War written by, uh, like, a comic nerd who expects you to follow his comic nerd uh, fanfic as he's, like, <laughs> like 20 chapters into it already. Yeah. Like, Infinity War is a very... Is, is, like, people bitch about Infinity War. Infinity War is more comic books than all the other comic book films we have so far. Imagine but, if every 10 minutes in Infinity War somebody was like, hope you saw this other movie that came out last week. <laughs> yeah. But the first film, actually, the first comic uh, is, isn't actually that. It's... A comic that is pretty much exactly what it is, so you can judge it for what it is. It's called The Angel and the Ape. Angel and the Ape was created in 1968. It was created by E. Uh, Nelson uh, Birdwell and drawn by art, comic artist Bob Oxner. Uh, Bert, Nelson, uh, Nelson Birdwell, uh, Birdwell is noteworthy because he, he worked for Mad Magazine at one point. Uh, which is very telling for what the kind of story this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I yeah, and the artist, Bob Oxner, I don't know if Ryan knows him, probably not. I don't. I yeah. did see Wally Wood in the credits. He worked with Stan Lee. He created Stiltman. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bob Oxner co-created co- uh, Marvel Boy uh, back... Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Marvel Boy. Yeah, back, back before Stan Lee was Stan Lee. And I should know, I wish I had this fucking book, but in the 90s, one of the first experiences I, uh, I had with indie books was a dictionary not a dictionary uh, <laughs> it was i don't know you call it a history book on indie the growth of indie books over the decades and it was written in the 90s like an encyclopedia it was it was it was like a narrative it was interviews and stuff like that oh okay like, explain cool. what these books were so i don't know what the fuck yeah a dictionary <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know how words work okay but i need a dictionary right Hi, guys, but um uh, basically i don't know i wish i knew who the, who the creator was but it was a creator who directly worked on stan lee and he basically talked about how stan lee was the shittiest fucking writer ever he hated him <laughs> he, he took credit for all his work and basically he quit comics just because of stanley he's like fuck this guy fuck this medium and when he, but by the 60s when stanley really started getting big that's when stanley created like spider-man and uh you know like all the characters you know he basically said when he saw stanley was getting big now after knowing him just, just as a shit that he worked with he was like of course comics are trash of course stanley will become big as me and fuck comics <laughs> i really wish i remember who that was it's like this sounds like just you <laughs> It's funny because like this is this is like a a common story like like Bill Gates but he also didn't do that all himself he had what's his name with him uh, mm, uh, like, the, the, the fact one. that you don't know kind of like yeah yes. drives someone yeah. home even even with like Facebook yep yeah. or Steve Edison Jobs has, and, um, and Steve Wozniak. Tesla yeah yeah, yeah Wozniak. I think when you not to get all political but in a capitalist society it favors the people that are cutthroat. Mm-hmm. And and people and because one name is easier to like yeah, to, yeah. the publicity man the publicity man's always one exactly to yeah and that's the thing is Stan Lee brought the personality to Marvel one of the reasons yeah. why people like why college kids started loving Marvel in the sixties is because there was all these like in jokes 
where, like, editorial notes would be like, oh, what, you didn't read this book? Instead of just, like, see, Green Lantern number 22. So, like, it was more, like, tongue-in-cheek. And then, like, they would even have, like, the Marvel bullpen where Stanley would narrate, like, look at all the artists and show, like, their pictures. So he was the first, like, comic book celebrity. And you also show up in, like, uh, whenever they talk about it in, like, the uh, the news or media and cartoons. Like, he would put himself in the stories himself sometimes, too. Like, I mean, he's he up... in every single Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. movie, too. Yeah, that, yeah that's, 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 like, the definitive Stan Lee right there that exists. And we'll, yeah. get, and, we'll, and we'll get to this a bit, but that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the, even the complaints you have uh, might have about it, about them being too much the same, are complaints that people levied against Stan Lee in the way he wrote his comics. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny how much the movies reflect comic Stanley created excluding the fact that Stanley will always show up in them and publicize himself in them <laughs> but yeah Angel in the April's Bob Oxner uh, was ours for this and it's very telling because the comic strip is about a, a, a woman uh, I forgot her, uh, the character's names but let's just call him Angel in April she's a dame yeah. and he's she's an a ape. hot blonde lady it gets you, captured. Wait, we have to we have to say his name, Sam Simeon. Come on, Sam Simeon. <laughs> I, I will say the, uh, I really love uh, Oxner's art. Uh, the way he draws Angel is actually really like the way he I like the way he draws her. I like the the color. it's very sixties to me. Like this, whole, it, kind it kind of, of reminded me of like old Hanna Barbera, kind of. Mm, it does yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of action like and style. movement in it, and especially like yeah. even drawing like a policeman. There's there's a lot of flourish to it i think and very expressive faces like yeah the, like whenever people get knocked onto the head they go uh, cross-eyed and go make goofy faces and stuff like that yeah cartoony. it's very cartoony yeah so uh the plot is there's a cartoonist gorilla he's basically a, a big force to work for a slave driver stan bragg who is an analogy <laughs> i wonder who he is this uh, this was the most naked like criticism of Stan. like it's the other ones try and hide it a little bit by being like oh he's like this thing or he's like he's a con man but over here it's just a like a comic book editor that just constantly yeah. talks about how great he is but it's, te- it's telling that the one the artist that Stanley worked with before he became big talks about how Stanley was a stage driver in this comic. So, <laughs> but yeah. So and while this cartoonist gorilla is being uh, slave driven by Stanley, he has a private detective roommate uh, who's trying to stop a circus criminal group called the Bikinis, and that's basically the plot of it. <laughs> it's just like it's so it's so fucking bizarre to read this because like yeah. they're like they're performing this heist and it's like it's just like. They're hypnotizing the police officers, and then do, yeah. they have acrobats taking all the money out, and yeah. like, and like, in the same like, like, uh, like when I said, this reminds me of the '60s very much. This, this was very much like the type of like if you watch like the '60s Batman cartoon, uh, there was like a very uh, campy nature to that era, a very mm. colorful nature to that era, and this kind of embodies it to it because like embodies that it's like yes, very especially this first panel, this yeah, big like splash page, everything going on, it's. So wacky is the yeah. Yes, guy still to stealing stuff from the second floor. Yeah. Um, the trapeze artist. Yeah, big like, strong oh. man ripping off like a like a vault thing. But he does it at such an angle that's like coming out of the building. It's very like it's captivating in a way. Yeah, and so uh, the, the angel call, calls the ape saying, "Oh, the 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 point, the greatest heist in history." And the ape is busy cartooning, saying, "Well, I guess I gotta go save Angel because he gets kidnapped while she's making the phone call." Mm-hmm. And one joke in this comic is that everyone sees the ape as an ape in the suit, but they they can't rationalize that's an ape in the suit. So they all think, "Wow, that guy's really hairy." So like, as he's <laughs> as he's swinging from the fucking phone lines, everyone's like, "That guy is swinging from the phone lines." These hip youngsters disregarding all the rules and shit. But yeah, the ape comes and he tries to fight him off, but the, they're too much for him, so they kidnap the Angel. And the ape has to go back, uh, and he has to go back anyway because his boss, uh, Stan Bragg, is asking for his new cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that happens whenever he goes to hand in his new cartoons is uh, he, the Stan Bragg literally puts him in a cage and like starts <laughs> mocking him, saying, I'm going to steal your cartoons, you piece of shit. <laughs> Stan Bragg, look at it again. <laughs> and basically, the ape finally breaks free from his prison. Yeah, at one point, he makes a joke that really actually made me laugh. Where he was like, what, you don't like me? I appreciate your work enough to put my name on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, by, and by the way, this one, in the first issue, uh, which I read for this issue to see to get the gist of the premise, he actually writes uh, his name on the cartoons themselves. And when he writes it, it's so Stanley, like, presenting the greatest comic ever made by Stanley, the Superman Stanley, maker of all great comics. Like, if you read a 60s comic, every single Stanley comic is him jerking himself off. <laughs> and, and in this one, he's holding up a side editor too by the ear, and he's saying let's hear it for stan and he's like yeah stupendous ouch fantastic ouch stan 
Yeah, and also I should mention he has an assistant who's who's like jerk. He's also like his like it's um, brown noser. He's just got his face exactly. up his butt. Yeah. And I don't know, because later on, it will be an allusion to Roy Thomas, his successor editor at DC. <laughs> I don't know if this guy is, but he is a big kiss-ass. I mean, probably Stanley had kiss-asses around in the entire career, yeah. uh, knowing him. But yeah, so this guy probably could be an allusion to anyone. But he has this guy kissing his ass, saying, you should be proud that Stanley's ripping off your stuff. And then, but the, uh, the ape gets pissed off, and he breaks out of the cage, and he, and, he, and he draws on Stanley's face, saying, I quit. <laughs> uh, quitting the job. And as he's as he's swinging from the from the tough alliance, he's singing "Born Free, Free as a Dum Dum," <laughs> which I don't know if that's a song. <laughs> free as a Dum Dum. I think it's "Free as a Bird." Yeah, yeah I but, think so too. But here he calls it "Dum Dum." So he's a gorilla. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, he also <laughs> he figures that the angel, the the circus, it's free as the uh, wind crim- blows. Whatever that song is. Uh, Whatever. He fucked yeah. up the lines, not me. I'm, I'm reading what the page says. But anyway, he figures that the circus... I don't uh, make the rules, I just work here. He, he figures that the, the circus criminals are actually work at the circus, so he goes to the circus, the Dingling Brothers Circus, and uh, they capture the net. And he's so used to being captured by nets and cages by Stan Bragg that he thinks it's Stan Bragg capturing, saying, well, this is an elaborate heist that Stan Bragg's doing as the, 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 the circus acts like putting him in a cage and like carrying him away off to the circus. Like He thinks, like, oh, it's, Stan Bragg's really going far this time like usually he just kidnapped me for like a day now he's like taking me <laughs> off to the circus and stuff uh he, he figures that uh angel has to be somewhere so he breaks free from his confines and he goes and, and the whole time he's wondering like because these, these guys existed before they're called the bikini the bikini circus but they can never work together they, they always work separately and he's like how do they come together like usually they hate each other and he found out that the whole mastermind behind this was an evil uh family, family counselor, counselor. <laughs> i thought that was so funny and he's always like my counseling for you is kill the gorilla <laughs> yeah so yeah, the Angel breaks free from the council, so beats his ass as the ape breaks in, and the two have to escape because the, the, the bikini uh, circus is too much for them. Uh, and so uh, ape is like, "I gotta get a new job, so I'm going to work for DZ Comics. I hope I fit in." <laughs> and luckily for him, it turns out that the editor is also a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. the The editor's a male gorilla, and everyone else there's just women that work there too. Yeah. Like, ooh, yeah. an ape. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just yeah they're like oh what and, and it's funny because the the editor's the gorilla but it's still surprised that a gorilla comes in anyway <laughs> and the, the, the both of them are thinking as the enter and sing I like his looks there's something familiar about him but anyway <laughs> I don't even think the editor's a gorilla I think he's gorilla like yeah. but he like he like when I say he's gorilla like he actually is what everyone thinks the ape is supposed to be like a really hairy weird guy yeah ape man yeah. <laughs> ape-like but anyway the DC editor and him get off uh, uh, get get along well together hit it off yeah we'll make a million dollars and we'll kill Stan Brack yeah (laughs) Uh, the ape is like finally everything's coming up my way but he comes back he gets called back to Stan Bragg's office, and Stan Bragg is now faking his death, and and his kiss has to say, "You killed Stan Bragg when you when you beat him up and wrote your name. Well, I quit on him. You monster! If you don't want me to tell the police about this, you better work for me for free forever. forever. Yeah, you are you are a slave now. This is subtle commentary that I want you to be our slave at Marvel Comics. It's not subtle. He's like, I'm I'm like I'm a that, slave that, now. That's the joke. Yeah. Oh. Oh, well, whatever. Whatever. Funny thing about about this and the other one is Stanley was was like a notorious sexist. And like Angel and the female character later on, they're actually proactive women. Because uh, here the Angel like uh, is like, I gotta take down this fucking gang. So she calls up the police saying, "Hey, uh, please come to this location, uh, and this location where Stan Bragg is." Uh, saying probably he's trying. Stan Bragg is probably trying to make him a the slave. Police... So I'm gonna call police. Yeah. literally succeed and capture these people. I was blown away reading this. I'm like, this, <laughs> like you got a guy with an axe cutting off the guy on the stilts. You got like... Wait, I mean, let me set up. Let me set up. For, wait, okay. let me set up first. So, so the setup is she thinks that Stan Bragg is uh, making the ape a slave again. So she calls the police over to Stan Bragg's office saying the bikini guys are there. So to make sure the bikini guys are there, she goes up to the bikini guys saying, hey, you guys suck and drives over to... No, she says, you're all wet. You're all wet. <laughs> she drives over to the Stan Bragg's place and this sets up... It sets up all the police taking down the bikini um, clowns. So, like, the guy on stilts is getting his uh, legs cut off while the police... No, his timber. stilts cut off. His stilts <laughs> has legs. <laughs> it's you not get, fucking rated You get a bunch of people stacking... A police stacking up to fight stacked up men. <laughs> that was my favorite part of this whole comic. There were three police on each other's shoulders fighting those three guys <laughs> yeah. on each other's shoulders. Yeah, yeah. they're batons. 
And so he goes like, it's, this, is a, "This is like, well, we might not just call the police to handle your problems for you. So the police just beat the shit out of the bad guys." <laughs> and so meanwhile, uh, Stan Bragg's like, "What the fuck is going on out there?" So he gets up from his from the because he was like lying down on like uh, in rest in peace, like um, on a table, on an open <laughs> casket, kind of like an open casket yeah. kind of thing. So he gets out of his place, like, "What the fuck is going on?" And the ape. Come, at the same time, Abe comes in to hand in his comic, and he's like, oh, shit, you fucking set me up. So, <laughs> so he starts being the shit out of uh, Stan Bragg, and the police come in just as this is happening, so, Stan, uh, so the Abe gets an idea. So he starts pretending that Stan Bragg is choking him, forcing Stan Bragg's hands onto his uh, neck, and he <laughs> pretends that, that Stan Bragg is overpowering him. He's like, oh, no, stop choking me, and he jumps out the window, <laughs> pretending he, Stan Bragg threw him off. And as the, the best joke in all of these comics that I read about, the cop sees him, and he's like, it's against the law to choke anybody, and then as he's falling out the window, he's like, you're pushing him out the window, now you're breaking lots of laws! And then as he falls, he do- the cop goes, you did it! Now you broke all the laws! <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. Honestly, this was the best comic of the ones we read. I love it. What's the most? Like I said, it's the most. It is what it is. Like it's yeah. supposed to be like fucking uh, goofy shit. And uh, the police take Matt Stanley away because he starts raving, going raving mad, saying he's not dead. I'm dead. He killed me. Like I'm the one that's actually dead. You guys should be arrested again. And the police are like, he's fucking crazy. Mm. And and in the end, it ends with Stan, uh, the the ape, and Angel going to get a banana ice cream while Stan Bragg is in his. Uh, in, a, in a mental hospital uh, swearing revenge on the ape and that's the end of the issue mm-hmm. what a thing that was <laughs> yeah I, I that one was pretty funny I, I will say that like and it is like it wasn't as confusing as some of the other ones we read yeah. and it like it was cheesy but like it was it was like okay with it like it went with it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like a goofy sixty. Like a lot, of, a lot of the books, uh, these released that were new at the time, were all like really sixties goofy comic books. Like one comic was called Prez, which is about a, te- a teenager becomes president and stuff like that. It, it really is like a meld between like DC and um, Mad. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, like, I don't think I need to go into the nuances of this depiction of Stanley, <laughs> but, but what. I will have to explain, uh, like Phil said, this is, that was the only one that explains what it is up front, pretty much. I actually read some of these others and had to ask, like, where was Stan Lee in that comic? Like, I read it and I, like, I didn't know what I just read. So, so can I give a little bit of backstory on Fourth Yes. World? Yeah, you know the most about it anyway. Okay, so Jack Kirby is often ha- called the king of comics, and he was, he co-created most of Marvel with uh, yeah. with Stan Lee, and he pushed the medium further than, like, anybody, like, Pretty much for, like, decades. Every time Jack Kirby would do something, it was usually groundbreaking. And he moved to D.C. in the early, in the, like, late 60s, early 70s. And it was, like, a huge, huge deal. That would be, like, if Stan Lee moved to D.C. And yeah. they gave him... It's, it's like if Shimmy Gear Motor started working for Konami or some shit like that. Like, it's, like... Sony. He was... Yeah. Like, it's huge. Like, that he, he was so pissed off of Marvel that he wanted to quit. Yeah. And DC uh, gave him Jimmy Olsen <laughs> as a book to write. And... A book worthy of his prestige. <laughs> yes. And they basically, Jack Kirby was like, give me your lowest selling book. Because I want to be able to just do crazy shit to it. So they were like, here, take Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. So Jack Kirby started creating this whole huge mythology in Jimmy Olsen. And then they just kept giving him more and more books. And Kirby was writing and drawing. And so he was writing and penciling. I think he was doing 10 pages a week, which usually a 20 page comic comes out every month. And all of a sudden he was publishing four books at a time, which was Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, the new gods, the forever people and Mr. Miracle. Writing and and drawing four books. Like that's fucking insane. Mm. Yeah. And it was this huge, it was the most epic giant story. And I use epic in the classical sense that comics had ever had. Yeah. We should clarify. We should clarify. So what DC is building towards with the Just League films, that's all Jack Kirby's story. story. Yeah. And what Marvel, when Marvel is, they know all the stuff that Marvel's adapting, that was Marvel aping what Jack Kirby did at DC. Marvel saw yes. what, Jack, what DC was doing, uh, what Jack Kirby was doing at DC, and Marvel says, we can't be far behind. We have to rip off Jack Kirby. We have to create Thanos to match Darkseid, etc., etc. Yeah. So the thing is, these books, when I first read Jack Kirby's Fourth World, it was one of those things that it, it's like, it's a massive, it's a massive run. And I, the whole time I was like, I don't understand any of this shit, but it's like blowing my mind. And a lot of it is. A lot of the dialogue is, like, super dated, but he's throwing, like, so many concepts where it's, like, this is, like, this this long mythology that's been building for thousands of years and all these crazy things. The only thing is, it is impossible to read in pieces. 
And, like, I don't understand how, like, because DC collects this often as, like, just the Mr. Miracle stuff or just the New God stuff. And I, that blows my mind at all. Like, so when Sly was like, let's do this one Mr. Miracle issue, I was like, that's going to be something. <laughs> I just got right. When, when, we, when we were talking about this, I was thinking maybe we shouldn't do this at all because I read the Mr. Miracle issue, like, wow. I read the fucking next issue we're going to talk about, and I was like, wow. We can't do any of these because they're all part of massive. Basically, whenever one person was doing well at DC or not, or or part of the big story or story arc, they decided to dedicate one issue saying "fuck you, Stanley." <laughs> <laughs> so, th- this is this is Mister Miracle number six, written and yeah. drawn by Jack Kirby, yeah. and it's just in the middle of this fucking bonkers shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's called Funky Flashman, named after the main f- f- uh, thrust of the story, Funky Flashman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, we should mention, uh, like, if you if you know if you read any '60s Marvel stuff, you know Jack Kirby's art style. It's very, yeah. um, like, it's it's '60s Marvel. Like he created that art style. It's it's him. Uh, just go look up '60s Marvel and you'll see. Okay, that's how Jack Kirby draws. Yeah. So, so the main premise of the Mister Miracle book is Mister Miracle was th- there's two planets in the fourth world. There's the good place and the bad place. Mister Miracle was the son of the good place, like the king of the good place, and he was given up to Darkseid, the big evil guy. Of which he learned to be a master escape artist, and then he escaped and came to Earth. His name is Scott Free. This is escape artist. <laughs> yeah, because he gets off Scott Free. So he he is a super escape artist that is now in show business at, while he gets chased by the bad guys. God, I hate this yes. book. Yeah, me too. This was like uh, honestly the worst. Like I said, this all these were the worst thing I've ever read. Like this one in particular was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever read. Here, I will back you up, Phil. I think this is the worst thing I have ever read in my life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, I, I'm like, all I'm right, not good. Thank God someone else agrees with me. Uh, I, I love this book. I love this we've book read too. worse material. We've read like worse like things like more sexist stuff, more racist stuff, more just like disrespectful and gross and nasty. Jack Kirby does not respect punctuation at all, and it drives <laughs> me mad, and I hate it because like it's it's him throwing prose away because he does not use. A single period throughout this whole comic, and I assume like his other things. It's only exclamation points, and it's really rapid, and they're not broken up, and it like so much of it is writing, and I can't read it because it's so like scatterbrained and crazy. I'm gonna read like this 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 is just like one panel. It's someone saying, Oh yes, you've been hinting about going on tour. Well, why not? It's time we began making money. And then someone says, Touring means being constantly on the move, Oberon. That's what's important. We must become mobile. And then, it, it like, the whole comic is like that. It's just, like, short, punchy sentences that makes it hard to know what's going on because they don't feel, like, interconnected with each other. It's just, like, mm. people saying, like, oh, yes, Oberon, Earth weapons, primitive on Apocalypse, but effective here, easy to handle, too. That's another line. That, I, that, that kind of makes me like it more because that makes it feel more like a traditional comic book. Like, like every book sentence, ending of a question, uh, exclamation point yep. is very comic booky. I just flipped through it. Daryl's right. There's not a single period. Yeah, there, yeah, and just, actually, yeah he's right. And, Jack, and like we said, Jack Kirby was like this happens a lot. Like we talk, go read Batman Odyssey to see no, another artist like, writer. You're, you're completely right because after this, I was thinking about the other comics that we were reading, and it's like the other sixty ones, like the the Adam Warlock one and the Ape one. They only use periods as ellipses too, but it's like it's a single exclamation point, and it doesn't break up in the middle of the sentence. Over this, I I went mad reading this. <laughs> it's twenty four pages. There's 220 narration bubbles and boxes and 740 <laughs> exclamation points. <laughs> That's 30 it is, per it page. Is pretty crazy. And then I was like, am, am I going mad? Like, is that a lot or not? So then I looked up <laughs> per 100,000 words, what, wh- how do these authors use exclamation points? J.K. Rowling, per 100,000 words, uses 600 exclamation points. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway uses 60 J.R.R. Tolkien and James Joyce both use a thousand, which is like okay, sure. And they've been like, it's been counterpoint. Counterpoint. Those are all prose writers. Uh, they were not writing for punchy combo dialogue. But, but that's the also, thing. Also, he breaks like, it up. Sometimes he uses one. Sometimes he uses two. And sometimes he uses three. Yeah. And then I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm thinking about this too much because some of these can just be normal periods. But he uses the double one way too much too. Like. <laughs> No, but the thing is, it, it's hard to read some of these sentences like they're all saying. Yeah. Like, if, if it's two words, exclamation point, two words, exclamation point, like, suddenly, her senses spring to the alert. The room is full of shadows. And in their depths, danger. Yeah. Uh, or that sound. My side clip warning. Are reacting. 
could could be a, a carrier beam. <laughs> then it stops from apocalypse. It's just, it, that's so funny that you mentioned that because when I read Fourth World, it felt like a fever dream when I read the whole thing for the first time. And I remember finishing it and being like, "What the fuck did I just read?" And then like I reread it like over the years, and like I appreciate it a lot more. But I think that adds to it where you never take a breath, mm-hmm. even when they're just like having dinner. You're like. Like, I feel like my heart's gonna explode. Yeah, everyone speaks with the same urgency. That's what I love about it. It's, that's, like, you, uh, go to hell. Never, <laughs> you never have a, Fuck you, Daryl. Seriously, you're like, oh, close your fucking restrictive closed-minded views on... No, no, I, I'm fine. Like, I, You're gonna fucking go to fucking Jake Rowling. Oh, this is the rules for how you write. Like, I, I, can under- I can understand it with stuff like, again, when we get into Adam Warlock, that that's just how you write, you write punchy, but he is too punchy for me. That, 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 that's, that's, that's what's funny. That's, that's very interesting to me because... He's an artist turned writer. He uh, wrote. He wrote. He drew. He talked purely through art for most of his career, mm-hmm. and now he uh, all of his art. Like the thing that made Jack Kirby stand out was his punchy art. Like uh, if you compare it to like that fucking uh, Superman comic we read for the the bonus episode for Patreon, the his, the panels like punch out every every the punches and throws everything just explodes out. Yeah, of the it, page. it is. It is kind of like similar to his art in that it's like it can be overwhelming at times, and I do appreciate yeah. that. Like artistically on the page itself like i've always liked the jack kirby machines those are always cool i, I will say that like interesting doesn't mean it's not unreadable like this is almost impossible to read like <laughs> I, I i could i couldn't fucking read this that's how i felt yeah but that's and that's totally fair but uh, like i i think i think i'm trying to defend like this as an interesting specimen like this was like an artist going fall out into his craft like that's what the whole entire that's why the reason why this, this uh made such a big impact because this was a master craftsman uh a master of the 60s uh, super obvious, super blunt art style uh, and like action scenes and explosions and all that shit. Just trying to write a story and going, doing whatever the fuck he wants. Like these books weren't selling anyway. He had fucking full reign. So See, like, I don't I, think, I think those are incongruous concepts because no, they're like, not. I've always wanted to do Fourth World for the show since like, before, like once Phil and Daryl joined, I was like, we should do Fourth World, but it will, it is impossible to cover in our format. Yeah. It just, there is no way we can ever do it. And the one of the reasons why is because I feel like if I gave this to someone that wasn't like in it, like wasn't in for this ride, mm-hmm. they would fucking despise it. Like, like this, me, this, me and Phil weren't yeah. prepared for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm sorry, I, I, sh- I shouldn't get too mad, but I, I get like because like this is this stuff is you get def- really you get like, like defensive of the masters and the pioneers of comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, this is a lot like getting to Silmarillion and like if, if you're a Hobbit fan. Yeah, like, yeah, or, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, I think that's a very fair uh, comparison. Uh, and that's coming from someone who could barely finish the Silmarillion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the issue opens up with uh, uh, narration in a shadow in a shadow world between success and failure. There's like a driven little man who dreams of having it all. The opportunistic spoiler of our character or values who praises all things like a cannibal, including you. So keep in mind, this is. The co this is the co creator, uh, the guy that Stanley co created Hulk, Fantastic Four, the X Men, Thor, Iron Man, all these characters. This is how he describes Stan Lee. This <laughs> fucking bleach, the scum there. A cannibal. <laughs> and he's introducing the character, the Funky Flash Man, which is a very interesting name for a character. Yeah. <laughs> and his uh, sidekick, House Roy, who is transparently uh, Roy Thomas, uh, Stanley's oh. successor uh, at DC, at, at Marvel. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I didn't know that. Like, I, I, I didn't even know he was fucking Stanley when I was reading this. I'm like, what is going on? And, and no, I, I, when I reflect now, I'm like, a lot of it must have been just the writing because I, I felt like I hated the story too. But like, maybe if 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 I could understand what was happening, I wouldn't. Hate One it. thing that's also important to note is this is deep into this is like the halfway point ish from the whole fourth world saga. So at this point, like waist deep in this style. So like. You're not supposed to just read this. Issue. I, I also I will defend um, Phil and Dallas' perspective on this. Uh, when uh, writers, when artists do turn into writers, I think having a writer to read the page and see what the fuck is going on is very important because <laughs> when we get to the when they get to the fight scenes, it is impossible to tell who is fighting who. A character enters a fight and they never show her face. Yeah, like, yeah. He she just says the character's name, and I had to assume Stampa was another person that he yeah. fight. instead yeah. of like a shout or pronounce. Yeah, I was like, Stampa is either a war cry from her planet or it's a, someone she just threw. I don't know. Yeah. And that's a recur- I, I, as someone who gets into reads a lot of like artists writers. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very common thing. You need a writer to look at your work and yeah. Uh, th- this is this is why generally you need editors like Mark Millar. Is you yeah. need someone to be like, hey. Did you think about this? 
It obviously feels like someone who's filling in the blanks in their own mind when they're writing, because like yeah. all people do. Mm. You're like, yep. I know what's going on here, therefore everyone will. Yeah, yeah. I, I, he needs somebody to come in and say, you need a punctuation park at some point, <laughs> at some point, for love of God. But anyway, so it opens with Funky Flash. I'm just gonna call him Stanley. Stanley at his mansion. Uh, he's waiting for his inheritance. Apparently, the person who, who gave him his, who gave him his inheritance. In his mansion. I don't dem- get this at all. De- demands that he gets it from a giant statue that opens his mouth and releases money every week or so. And s- slowly but surely, he's been giving him less and less money. And and uh, Roy Thomas is basically like, this is really fucking stupid. Like, that, this is how you your inheritance. And Stanley's like, at least I don't have to, have to, I have to work for, for a living. I'm fucking awesome. I'm Stan fucking Lee. <laughs> and I, and I, it's just funny. Because I think, I wonder if this is a critique on Stanley. Because Stanley did get into comics because of nepotism. His uncle worked at Marvel. Mm. So I wonder mm. if this is if that was like his uncle as the statue. Yeah, and yeah. I think he's just like collecting money for not doing I, anything. I think yeah. like that was another kind of hard thing with reading through this. Like Phil and I, with having like no knowledge of the comics industries, we don't yeah. know who like like I was able to p- pick out this with Stanley like towards the end. Where I'm like, clearly a Stanley character isn't coming in. This guy has to be him. So yeah, it, that... it's just like you're <laughs> looking for like all these like threads that attach you to reality but since we don't know the material the most we got is stanley so it's like he pulls money out of a mouth i'm like okay i'm sure this is something i just there's no way for me to know what and that's, yeah. and that's another good point it's another reason why uh, phil and daryl are fucking screwed uh, whenever you <laughs> get into something that's a critique on the industry like very in crowd critique on like specific individual industry it's mm-hmm. always impossible to follow like when taylor swift and kanye west start critiquing each other in their songs and shit yeah, like they that. start beefing and you're like what is this a yeah. thing people do <laughs> Yeah, like uh, when you're not in the industry, you don't and you don't get the fucking analogies, and they're they're getting super deep into it, like with anything. Mm. Like if if you're reading a response to response to response, you're never gonna <laughs> yeah. fucking follow it. Yeah. Not to mention that even in the story, it goes from Stanley and this guy to fucking Iron Man strapped to a rocket with like a gnome <laughs> man like as his sidekick, and then it swaps to this bar- like barbarian Wonder Woman person yeah. like, with a gun, and I'm like, what is okay, happening? So Mr. Miracle's cast is Mr. Miracle, escape artist, looks kind of like Iron Man, I guess. Uh, Oberyn, his uh, his <laughs> very short sidekick. Yeah, he's not, he's, is he human? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 no I, way. I, is he human or is he an alien too? <laughs> no, he's just short. He's just short. <laughs> he's like his manager. <laughs> he's he's oh he's a Phil from Hercules. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, pretty much exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, his name was Oberyn too. <laughs> yeah, and then his wife, Big Barda, <laughs> who is just like a big Amazon woman. Yeah, so oh, that's uh, his wife. She's yeah. the one who made the his porno wife. with Superman. Oh yes, if you want to go, we, talk, we discussed this character before. Oh go check God. out our Superman porno issue because John Byrne <laughs> put them in. Put uh, has had Mr. Miracle get cuckolded by Superman, but <laughs> made a porno with Big Barda. Guys, <laughs> I am quitting the podcast. <laughs> God damn. So let's finish this issue before we get to that. So, issue, so the reason I think why you're I'm, okay with me leaving. You're just like, I just need to finish this. We just have to finish it. We have to tell this imaginative story. So uh, Stanley's basically like, I'm, I'm not getting enough money from my fucking inheritance. I got to go back go back to work. Ugh, I got to make somebody work for me and mooch off his success. So I'm going to start looking for something. I'm going to get Mr. Miracle to do an escape artist tour for me. And... So, so, I had no idea Mr. Miracle was Scott Free too, because they never call him Mr. Miracle. They just call him Scott Free all the time. <laughs> but yeah, he's Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, and like, uh, <laughs> yeah, Phil. It's like we, we explained Mr. Miracle, and uh, when, when he goes to meet uh, Stanley meets Big Barter first, and I actually thought this was interesting because uh, we mentioned Stanley was incredibly sexist with his uh, '60s comics, like uh, Sue Storm, like uh, Invisible Girl. Like they would say, like, "Wow, I feel useless," and everyone would be like, "Yeah, you are useless. You're a woman. You're there to look pretty and like yeah. and give us morale." Like it was like pure sexism. Yeah, he, he calls Bar- Stompa chicky all the time. Chicky, yeah, calm down, chicky. Big Barda's like Scott and I are independent. You have to talk to him. Like I don't speak for him. He doesn't speak for me. And he's like, "That's good, chicky. That's good." Women's lib dialogue. Ooh, great act. Great act. Like yeah, if you believe that shit, no one believes that. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, he's clapping. <laughs> Chicky, boo, booby baby. And then he called, he says, yeah, maybe you would be a good act if you had more class. And it's like, ooh. He <laughs> says, she breaks the gun to like intimidate him. And he still just keeps going on. Chicky, booby baby. Did you think for one minute that bitty buddy funky would be unkind to <laughs> this you? This is I'm why like... we were losing our <laughs> And we should clarify, he breaks, uh, he breaks, she breaks the gun that he was giving to her to show off. Like, 
like for no reason. Like we talked about, Jack Kirby does not set up anything properly at all. Like she's just holding a gun, saying this is a cool gun, and then she breaks it. Like this is a stupid gun. Fuck yeah. you, Stanley. This dialogue really just did kill me though, because like she, he says that, and then she breaks the gun, and he goes, "Crazy lady, it's rebuilt like this." And ah, oh, why don't you go report to your drill sergeant? You're a classic funky ego, ignorance, hostility, a real powerhouse. If you'll excuse me, I'll go take a bath. And then, <laughs> then the other guy comes in, and I'm like, "Is this?" Is who am I supposed to know yeah. who this is? And I was sitting there, I'm like, is this like a because it says a moment later? I'm like, I, I Wait, don't know. You can't follow this, so Mr. Miracle says, Well, you must be Mr. Flashman. Have you been waiting long, sir? And Flashman <laughs> says, What matter, great wizard, on a day when wondrous feats poise on the brink of creation? What you can't, you can't tell what's going on. And then and Oberon, yeah. his sidekick, is there the whole time, and for some reason, every time Mr. Miracle turns around. Funky Flashman starts like kicking him and like grabbing him. Yeah, he's kicking him. He's just trying to hold him, like grab him. Like, he's trying oh, to like cool. chase him away in this panel. And Oberon's like, "How much sugar in your coffee, Mister Flashman? One lump or two? And and but Oberon never says anything about the fact that he's like like beat like he grabs him by the neck later. He's having to flee from this man. There's one panel where it looks like he's shoving Oberon into his pants. <laughs> And he says, stand, man, be silent and humble in the presence of simple, heartwarming dedication. Thank you, little man. And, and, and I don't know, like, what? why wouldn't Oberyn respond to this? Or, like... Oh, my God, he is going into his pants. <laughs> yes. just don't want it. Oh, no, it's just a grunt. He has, he has an icky face on it. Like, yeah, he's fighting his pants. Okay, but what, are we supposed to know why he's, like... Trying to grab this little fan. I, I think he's just a fucking, fucking creep. I guess he's a pervert. I guess I guess maybe. I don't know. But why doesn't Oprah mention anything? I, just don't I, I think I think um, Kirby's just trying to portray Stan Lee that he's just like untrustworthy and wild and like crazy. Yeah, I guess he's trying, he's trying to swipe over on the criminal's pants. <laughs> And just like some of these, some of these lines, I'm like trying to follow along. I'm like, okay, he's meeting Scott Free here, and then he just comes in and says, "Ah, what a tingly, wingly thrill to actually be in the very setting where the hallowed Thaddeus Brown, like a warlock of ancient yore, conjured up his majestic manipulations." And I'm like, "What? Uh, what did is, I is get he into? any of these words, Scott Free?" <laughs> so, Scott says, "Oh, so you boned up on Thaddeus?" <laughs> Thaddeus so, was the original Mr. Miracle that Scott Free, when he first got to Earth, watched die, and he's like, I guess I'll be Mr. Miracle. Oh. Now. So, while while Mr. Miracle's making a business deal with Scott, uh, with Stanley to try to uh, get a deal touring as a escape artist, Borea gets attacked in the fucking fight scene. It's impossible to follow by uh, <laughs> uh, Servants of Apocalypse. Uh, you have to mention their names. Mad Harriet, Stampa, who, again, oh. it doesn't actually show up. She just goes, Stampa, ugh. <laughs> and then she, like, throws an, un, like, a something. And then that was Stampa, and then Stampa's gone. Yeah. And then she's like, I hope Lashina doesn't come, or Bernadette. <laughs> I, I, I will defend this because, like I mentioned, Stanley, uh, in 60s comics, they're always uh, showing a uh, woman that's super weak. Uh, I think it's cool, like Big Barda was like a, like a, a soldier for this evil group, and she was like a part of this female military force, and that military force is hunting her. So this was really progressive for like compared to like Stanley's shit. And, to like, have like an cool. Amazonian woman. Yeah, with like army of Amazons being chased by her old colleagues were all yeah, Amazonian. All of women. the main like the head torturer uh, on Apocalypse is a woman, and all of her lieutenants are all women. Mm. Yeah, isn't that kind of like Thanos? With his daughters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was years later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Then, is this progressive or is it showing women are evil and torturers? No, but like Big Barda. No, but is, Big Barda's is, a hero. Yeah, Big Barda yeah. is more badass than, than Mr. Miracle. Like she's yeah, she, she kicks out everyone's ass. Mr. Miracle is he a hero? Because everything he does is just like, look at me, I'm jumping off a cliff, and he explodes, and then he's like, he's a skateboarder. He's not a fighter. He's a but like, how is that <laughs> interesting to watch? I don't know, it's kind of interesting to see, like, why is Harry Houdini interesting to watch? It's like the old... Uh, but, oh no, but I would go to see Harry Houdini, I wouldn't want to see him fight supervillains and just, like, uh, explode himself and be like, I didn't die. <laughs> just reading these random lines, I'm like, I just don't follow anything. Earth isn't small, perhaps we can lose ourselves in hamlets, cities, continents. Perhaps in time, the forces of Apocalypse will give up the hunt. And I get that, and she says, it's a delusion, Scott, but I'll buy it. Only watch Flashman? Megalomaniacs love to make noise, he could be our Achilles heel? Oh my god, it's like Trump talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trump became president, so maybe this guy is more in tune with American yeah, people than you are, Yeah, maybe it's guys. something where when, like, if you see Jack Kirby talk, you're like, oh, I understand what you're saying now. It's just reading it. Yeah. No, but, like, Jack Kirby was, like, a soft-spoken, gruff guy. <laughs> It's like the opposite of this. But but yeah, that's the reason why uh, uh, Mr. Merkel teams up with starts working for Stanley because uh, he wants to f- stay on the run and away from the the uh, people hunting him down. So he's gonna be public as Mr. Miracle doing escape acts while touring the country, I guess. But 
so that he, they show off how he can escape stuff like Phil said like he can escape a bubble that explodes because uh, he's hiding in the, the tiniest crevice in the corner like that's his superpower to survive anything like even those bullshit like <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because like every scene of him doing this is like a saw blade coming to him it cuts through and then he's just didn't get cut and Oberon <laughs> yeah. is scared the whole time <laughs> I, I would read a book about a person escaping stuff but the problem is he just escaped because saying I escaped it, yeah, it so. doesn't show any of him escaping it's just like he gets in a bubble it blows up and he's fine he's like yeah yeah I don't, like, I, again Phil, I don't think like you always blame the premise I don't think it's the premise I think it's the execution like they just say he escaped they don't show a badass escape I mean also we have mother box here right like so it's just a literal plot device where it's just this little machine that pings and then does whatever it has to do. That's it. What do you mean? I couldn't tell what it did. I couldn't it tell makes what it does. It does whatever. pop out of a thing? <laughs> it, like, it, it will, it can open boom tubes so you can teleport. Scott's always like, oh, Motherbox showed me the weakness of this trap and I just escaped. And it's like, okay, good, good escape artist. You just have a machine that tells you what to do. Yeah. So he, he like he's showing off what he can do. So he he gives the mother box to Stanley, and Stanley keeps it. For, like he doesn't. The most this plot device, the most important thing. He just lets Stanley have it and forgets about. It. Oops, <laughs> I forgot. So now he's now Stanley's a target. His mother box is how they're targeting them. So Stanley goes back to his uh, manager, and he's like, "This mother box is stupid." He just tosses it away. <laughs> Can I, can I just say I know I was shitting on the all female team before. It, yeah. it was just the the way they, they were introduced. How yeah, yeah. how how this woman is like I'm gonna select a lash that will cut them to ribbons, and she's just covered in like whips and stuff. Yeah. And then and then as she starts fighting, Barda's like Lashina, I've been waiting for you. It's like <laughs> it just felt so dumb. I would say Lashina's design is cool. Like she's like covered. All like, of the Kirby designs I think are great. Like it's like uh, for for remember this is. In the era where it was just Superman guys in tidy whities on their outside of their pants. Yeah, the fact like, that she had like three like belts okay. on her face. I guess. Yeah, she, she, she's like a she's like a uh, a BDSM kind of costume. Yeah. But in, in, yeah. but but and like it might seem dumb now, like if, if it was done now. But mm-hmm. this was the '60s when in bright colors. Like I think it looks it's very yeah, like Miracle's outfit himself. He looks pretty wacky. Yeah, Milko is like a vomit of colors, green, yellow, and red. Like, yeah. uh, Last Sheena's costume, it looks like a modern... Uh, he he kind of costume. looks like a gay Iron Man. He does look like gay Iron Man. <laughs> With a Doctor Strange cape. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stan- so Stanley uh, is like, oh, this mother box is stupid. We should have a... Uh, this recording device is much better. Everyone can hear my dulcet tones with it. I love the sound of my own voice. This is great. Uh, all the, the women show up, and they're like... Uh, we don't know who this fucking loser is, but he's fr- he must be friends with Mr. America to have his box. And then just like Phil and Daryl, uh, he says, what are all these crazy looking broads doing here? <laughs> but, be- but before that, before that, he's Stanley is so engrossed with his own voice that uh, Roy Thomas is like, Stan, these women are coming to kill you. And they're like bragging, like, we're going to murder this guy. They're, they're like talking out in the open. And Stanley's like, shut up, Roy Thomas. I don't hear you. I'm just listening to the great fucking sound my own voice on this radio. I love my voice. Uh, my ferret knife will penetrate dimensionally and barbecue him from the inside. <laughs> And it's just like it looks like a dart coming out of like a TV remote. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where does it go? She shoots it. And just, yeah. Where does it go? What happens is uh, Stanley finally notices and he's like, "Oh shit! He's throwing up uh, interdimensional dart at me. I gotta toss Roy Thomas as a human shield in front of it." And he tosses Roy Thomas and it explodes. And he's like, and the whole building explodes too. And Stanley breaks, gets out of the building, escape of time. He should be the fucking uh, Scott Free, am I right? <laughs> So he escapes and he's like, uh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm gonna quit working with uh, Scott Free. His his friends are too crazy. Uh, too bad Roy Thomas died, but whatever. I can get a new kiss ass any day. And it just turns out that Roy Thomas somehow survived. Mr. Miracle is just like, good thing I saved him just in time. As a dart was flying towards him <laughs> in like a split second, I managed to come in here, arrive at this location, and save him just in time. <laughs> it wasn't just the dart coming at him and then he showed up. It was. He, and they had time to turn around. He picked up Roy Thomas, threw him at the dart, and then this guy showed up and saved him. We don't yeah. know how many dimensions it traveled through. It could be a lot. He could have time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's the fucking worst thing Daryl and Philip read. <laughs> Prose-wise. So get... Prose-wise. <laughs> Pros no, like every-wise. <laughs> uh, I think... I like I like fucking Machina's costume. I think it's fucking bad. <laughs> I like a costume's the saving grace for this. this um, hey, hey, guys. Did you know that I think the Mr. Miracle book is the most accessible of the Jack of the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh. I gotta make you guys read a fucking issue of Forever yeah. People. You know what? Yeah, that's something. That kind of makes sense because it's like saying like um, Ultimate is the most approachable Millar book. Oh, okay. Where <laughs> it's like yeah, someone reading it the first time is like, that's crazy, but you you have to dig in deeper to see the worst <laughs> stuff. Okay, so let's get into another unapproachable book. Adam Warlock. So this, like we said, 
uh, Marvel wanted their own version of what Jack Kirby was doing, and that was Thanos. And part of the Thanos arc was Adam Warlock. Uh, so this is again, this is a part of a multi-part story. Oh my god! Now this is written and drawn by Jim Starlin, who we've covered the last two episodes. Yep. What's nice is that Starlin tries to catch you up, and there's one page where Adam Warlock oh gives you the god. the rundown, and there's a lot of things happening. Including my favorite thing, a giant face with four like four stubby arms and four legs, and he has a rock beard that leads like in a rock unibrow. And it's like formations of rock. It's like, it's like a rock. It's a gravel. It's a gravel. It's fucking gravel. It I, I thought it was pretty cool, but that's probably why. <laughs> but with like bug eyes. I think it's cool too. I like it. And I then like and then when Adam Warlock like tries to steal his soul, it drives him mad. Like that little yeah, but, bug man. I, I will defend that style. Uh, Jim Starlin, like we talk about aliens uh, looking the same. Jim Starlin goes crazy with alien design. <laughs> this this reminds me a lot of just like Doctor Strange stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. Perfect. Because that one of those things was... Uh, this art style was Jim Starlin emulating Doctor Strange. Because, oh. uh, he says it's the story is dedicated to Steve Ditko. Who gave mm. us a di- for all a different reality. So it was an homage to Steve Ditko, which is important because Steve Ditko co-created Stanley. Like we talked about. He co-created Stanley. He fathered Stanley. He went back in time. He co-created Doctor Strange. That's what I'm going to call people who have kids now. You co-created this. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he called, I'm sorry. I keep saying co-created. Co-created isn't standing. I'm going to slur my words. I'm fucking drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jim Starlin had a run of Mr. Miracle. Oh, he did? He killed him. Yeah, he, oh, he did. Death of the New Gods. Oh, yeah, he killed everyone. <laughs> Starlin was like, fuck you, Jack Kirby. Well, not me. I'm going to kill all your characters. He fucking literally did that. This is sounding more and more petty as you're revealing this information. <laughs> but yeah, let me get back to it. So... so Doctor Strange was like a really trippy book. Uh, people, uh, college students, uh, were like, "Whoa, man, this is trippy shit!" And they'll read it while getting high. Uh, and he eventually quit Marvel because he couldn't stand Stanley's censorship. And this issue is basically Jim Starlin saying, "I can't stand stand Stanley's censorship. I'm fucking quitting. I'm gonna give him an homage to the real cre- creative talent, uh, Steve Ditko. Stanley's a fucking hack, basically." Mm. And just to kind of speed up on the story. So Adam Warlock was basically a god-like figure. In, in this story, what it's about, with Starlin's version, he basically found out that in the future, like literally from the future, like he, he meets his future self and his future self says, I remember this exact moment. He becomes pure evil. He, be, he takes over the universe. So he's inevitably going to become evil and from what, what he can tell, there's no way to stop it. Everything he seems to do seems to uh, get him more onto the path of becoming evil. And the story, basically, basically the story That's of him... Cool. Yeah, I was about to say that's so interesting. Yeah, and then I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, this just puts more points in like Starlin's corner for like cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's why I want to clarify because he wants to tell a story about basically what his story is building towards is he's going to become evil and stories him grappling reality, the only solution for him to kill himself, and he has to find a way to do that because he's like a god like a being. Oh, uh, I was about to say like if, at some point you just kill yourself, right? But we <laughs> can't. That's the problem. And so, this whole run is fantastic. I highly yeah. recommend. it. So uh, this is a really dark story. This now, is my least favorite issue of the whole run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the worst. This is the worst story arc. The issue of the story of the of the arc. This is a commentary issue. Like we said, a uh, uh, fuck you commentary yeah, issue. It's, it's, that it's no just one like weird to take this pit stop in the middle of the series story and be like, you know who I really don't like, Stanley. Yeah. So the story all opens with a narration because uh, it turns out that he got captured by the church that his evil future self created, and his evil future self is now trying to brainwash him to speed up the process of him becoming evil. And mm. uh, have control over him when he becomes evil. So they put him on like a, a VR reality, which looks like a trippy Steve gets to go st- Doctor Strange world, and it's filled with uh, clowns. And yep. they're like, "Hey!" Yeah, I'm like, I thought this was so strange at first because I'm like, "You're trying to Doctor Strange." To, yeah, I thought you were trying. Like, if you're trying to control someone, you're like, clowns? do it through clowns. <laughs> but then it's like they they say later how it's like his his perception is seeing them as clowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're trying to show their their worldview, saying, "Come to our worldview." We're trying to give order to the universe, but he's like, "This is fucking stupid. You're a bunch of clowns." So he's reacted to it by viewing them as clowns. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Yeah. And so the clowns, the, the last clown's called Len Tien, which, uh, Len's Tien, which is an anagram for Stan Lee. Uh, and he says, uh, I was wondering I if there were going to be anagrams in this. Yeah. And he says, welcome to the, the world. land of the way it is. Exactly. And he's just like, oh, um, uh, we're going to show you how things really are. No more misconceptions. You could be happy now. Like, you're making everything so dark and gloomy. We're going to make you everything happy. And, show everything, and, how be happy. and I like, too, that this is like... Because some of the other ones, maybe not the last one, but, like, the, the Ape and Angel one really hit hard that it's, like, look, it's, like, literally Stanley, like, they draw it like him. Whereas this is, like, this is a clown with, like, a round face, and he's bald, and he's got, like, the red hair po- pointing out in the back. And the way 
that you know it's Stanley. It's both the anagram and he says, take it easy, true believer. And then that's all that uh, Starlin uh, does yeah. to be like, this is very clearly Stanley. Yeah. Um, you know what's crazy? This clown, this issue. I'm reading the trade right now. I'm looking at the trade. <laughs> yeah. They change the spelling to just be Lentine. They take the S out so it's not an anagram anymore. <laughs> but, huh. uh, so the entry is, so uh, Lentine shows him to... A uh, person's gonna give him his new face, saying, "We're gonna put a happy smile on your face. Let's put a smile on your face." And this is before Joker, so that was only happy contagious back then. <laughs> and everything must go. We got, we gotta make you just happy. So uh, he gets his artist, who's like, a, who's a clown of a, like a painter's costume on, mm-hmm. Jan Harum, which is an anagram for uh, uh, John Romita, who was the, oh. the, 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 the head artist for. Uh, Spider-Man. Like if you if you see a sixty Spider-Man comic, it's John Romita. It's either Romita or Ditko. I should yeah. have known these were anagrams because their names are so weird. weird. Like Jan yeah. Hat Rumi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jan uh, takes his paintbrush and paints a clown face under Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock is like a god, uh, like a gold Adonis basically, and he paints mm. a clown face on his face. It's his pretty face. funny looking. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, and uh, Adam Warlock immediately rubs it off, saying. I know uh, I may be like dark and disturbed, but everything that makes me interesting, it makes me who I am. I can't cover it up. And basically, because basically, this is like a whole analogy about how Stanley didn't like how he was telling all these dark stories with uh, Adam Warlock, and he should be telling happy stories about Spider-Man having trouble going to college and doing his job while being Spider-Man at the same time. Like all these wacky stories. I like too that they have the clown go. Uh, sure, have it, Adam. Have it your way. We'll not force you to do anything. We're not tyrants here. Like, I can imagine that Stanley told this to him at one point. Yeah, Yeah, if you want to make things hard for yourself, (laughs) go right ahead. And this is is interesting because it's relevant now because this is basically what what people commission about the Marvel Studios films, where they're too light, Mm -hmm. they're too fluff, Mm. they're all happy, and that's very true to Stanley's vision. And the first film to really break that tone was Infinity War, which which is a Stalin story. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, like uh, Very true, uh, yeah, yeah. So like they, they break it with Star, like Starlin broke it in the in the seventies, and now Starlin's story broke of the movies. Meanwhile, like, this is the first appearance of Gamora, by the way, like the second appearance of Gamora. Yeah, I was and, like, uh, this is fishnet woman with her like midriff showing, and then she's like, oh, I'm Gamora. I'm like, oh wow, yeah. what what? She's, uh, well, she's green. So. You're yeah. missing the real star, which is uh, Gamora's sidekick, Pip the Troll. I actually thought he was pretty funny. <laughs> I like because he, he, like, he's they're threatening someone, and he's like, I'm gonna get you or whatever yeah. and then the guy's like oh god Gamora and he's like Herb listen I'm the one you should be scared of and he breaks his gun yeah, and as, like as they're talking he's him. like a fucking gun yeah <laughs> yeah he brings it by accent by the way like oops <laughs> it's pretty gun. funny he's right he's Rocket Raccoon before Rocket Raccoon like, yeah he yeah he really is wow yeah while they're trying to rescue Adam, Adam Morlock from his prison uh, Lens Tien is showing more off more and here is the here's how Starlin views Roy Thomas which is more sympathetic so a bunch of clowns are pelting a guy on the on cross with, uh, <laughs> with fucking uh, oh that makes sense with, this is yeah okay. with, with pies and the, the pies melt away and you can see Roy Thomas like he was in the Jack Kirby a goofy guy with glasses and they say like oh who, and Morlock's like who's this guy who's this guy you're pelting with pie pies all the time and he's like, oh, he was trying to, he was trying to buck the system. He was trying to question the way things are. And Roy Thomas is like, I tried. I played the game as long as I could. I just couldn't take it anymore. You wouldn't understand. And uh, basically what happened was Roy Thomas became editor after Stan Lee. And basically he couldn't take it anymore. And he eventually quit. And this is basically how Stalin basically viewed it. He basically viewed like Roy Thomas as the only good editor. And he viewed the guys that came after uh, Marv Wolfman and... Jim Shooter? He hated Jim Shooter too, but um, he hated everyone except Roy Thomas, basically. That, that's interesting uh, that's... how, like, in this, Roy Thomas is seen as, like, almost like a martyr. Like, he, he he died trying to play the game as long as he could. Whereas, like, in the last one we read that he was just, like, a brown noser the whole time. Well, for what it's yeah. worth, when Mr. Miracle was written, Roy Thomas was still the editor. Yeah. Oh, so probably, yeah. That, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam is, is still like, this is all stupid. What the fuck? Like, these are, you guys are clowns. But then the final coup de gras on this thing being a little bit stupid, all the form of stupid, is he finds out what they're building towards. And they're all building towers of garbage. Is, I like this. <laughs> yeah. And there's like, just giant, giant towers of, cra- of, of trash. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck? like, what the fuck? Yeah, he keeps going, why? <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why, why? And all, he's like, all those clowns will be killed yeah, when the trash falls over. Yeah. This is, this is what they've always done and always will do. Yeah. We started building trash, so we have to keep building trash. <laughs> yeah. Life is a cycle. You always end up where you start, no further. And 
Adam Morlock looks through the trash after it collapses and starts killing a bunch of clowns. And he looks at, looks at the trash and he finds that there's diamonds in there. And he's like, there's diamonds in this trash. And he's like, oh, and the clown scene's like, oh, that stuff. We just seem to can't keep it out of our refuse. Someone keeps putting it, we're not looking. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Adam Morlock basically goes to the stage, starts laughing and saying, diamonds, diamonds among the garbage. Let me out of here. I just love the idea of a comic book writer being like, all these writers, all they do is they keep making this trash and occasionally they'll make like good stories. Yeah, like it's it's a pretty ballsy move to say this about your own industry. Yeah, yeah this is made by Marvel. This is printed under Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's like, I gotta get out of here. Tell me how to get out of here. And he's like, The only way to get out of here is basically going insane. You gotta go through the doorway <laughs> yeah. of madness. I felt kind of bad for Starlin at like with this. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he must have gone through some stuff trying to write for yeah. Marvel. Yeah. So Starlin eventually goes to uh, not Starlin. <laughs> Adam Warlock <laughs> stands for Starlin. Finally reaches the door of madness, and the the, mo- the madness monster comes out, and just like this this big buff guy, he's like, "I'm a madness monster." Mm-hmm. He starts fighting it, but he's like, "You can't fight me. I'm madness incarnate. I have no soul. You can't see my soul or anything like that." And he's like, "The only way to." Beat me is to embrace me. Fear me and I'll destroy you. Come to terms with me and you shall be invincible. <laughs> and, and, and Morlock uh, looks at him and he's like, you're right. I've, you've always been with me, but I denied you. And he's just like, you're neither demon or angel. You're merely a different point of view. No more than a different point of view. A different reality. And finally, he breaks the VR machine uh, himself. Like It breaks on its own. The Valid Gamora and Pip uh, breaking it. And they arrive just, just in time to see that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm, fine. I'm insane, guys. I fucking insane. Standing made me fucking insane, guys. Ha ha ha. And he's like, but this, this is good, though. Now that I'm insane, I can't go evil because uh, I wasn't insane before. I wasn't evil before. Now I'm insane. I can't go evil. And his evil future self shows up saying, you fucking idiot. You, you, are, you are evil. Like, you're becoming me already. And he shows up in his full body saying, now embrace me. I, you're, you're evil now just like me. Evil and insane. And that's part of the grand story arc that Starvin was building. Oh, boy. Thanks, Stanley. <laughs> oh, man, that was awesome. Uh, mountains of garbage. Yeah. So, a question. How did you guys view Stanley before, and how do you view him now? Like, knowing how his, his closest uh, workers <laughs> wrote this shit about him. Well, it's hard, because I feel like sometimes, you know, the environment can be so toxic that... I don't know. Maybe capitalism yeah. is a toxic system. <laughs> Living <laughs> the male patriarchy that encourages bad behavior. Maybe that? I don't know. See, I like Stanley a lot as a creator... But, like, even though he seems so nice, based on every testimony from people that works with him, yeah. I think he's, like, a real shitty businessman and a shitty boss. Mm. I, want, I want to say, um, uh, when me and Ryan uh, went through, uh, we went to uh, the Marvel chronology at different times, but we both had similar reactions to it. When Stanley transitioned from writer to editor, they became incredibly bland, incredibly shitty. Yeah. I I think he's just a really bad editor. Like he like he knows what he what he can do well, but he waters down everyone else's style. But like there and, are some Stanley books that are I still think like hold up fantastic. Like I think his Silver Surfer is fantastic yeah. still. But like it but, like, just... like, we should talk to Roy Thomas, but a lot of the worst Roy Thomas stuff is him writing under Stanley, writing yeah. very specific Stanley stuff. Yeah, but, like, how many creators have to come out to be like, this guy's a shithead who stole my work Yeah, for you to, like... I think like one is enough to listen to, but when it's like dozens, and it's like the people, the people you made your biggest works with, like Jack yeah. Kirby, like anyone you can credit, any work you can credit to Stanley, you can credit to Jack Kirby almost. What yeah. do you think, Phil? Uh, I didn't have much of an opinion on him before, but uh, besides that, he's the Marvel guy. But even <laughs> so... even like even like uh, like he's just the guy who created Spider-Man, and this guy, like even if it's just a neutral opinion, that's still yeah. Like... That's what I had of him, and now I'm like, I, I mean, like Daryl said, like, there's always the possibility that like. You, some a lot, a lot of people just don't like their boss because of the, the nature of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like if everyone is doesn't like that that boss, that boss might suck. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially if everyone's like this guy's full of himself. You're like, oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. probably the truth. Yeah, especially the same complaints throughout. Like he, oh, I should mention uh, when I talked about uh, Stan Bragg writing uh, signing his art mm-hmm. in the in the, the Marvel in the era before the '60s stuff. Stanley really signed the covers, like the covers, and that's usually done by an artist. So he would mm. literally sign what the artist should be signing to make it seem like he, like, it may, like maybe it wasn't his attention, but it makes it seem like he drew the covers. Mm-hmm. Like, for so, like, what it's worth, at the time, writers weren't credited at all. So I don't want. That's tough because it's like, yeah, he was doing it to be full of himself, but he's also like one of the first comic creators to give writers credit, even though it was himself. It's still an important <laughs> step. Well, that's the thing, like, uh, and that's why I talk about, like, 
uh, never meet your heroes because they're always like shitty histories, especially when it comes to business and stuff like that. Like I could tell you uh, history, uh, early history of Gary Gygax and his creators that he worked with. It's all of them screwing each other over. The only reason we have D&D editions is because everyone kept trying to screw each other the royalties so they'll put no editions so they wouldn't have to give royalties to the previous writers. <laughs> that's the only reason why we have D&D editions so people can screw out royalties. Wow. That's so <laughs> And that's pretty much unanimous. Like, like we talked about Steve, jo- Steve Jobs taking credit for everyone who works under him. Uh, Bill Gates, Bill Gates made his career scru- uh, acquiring and eating up smaller companies and taking all their uh, achievements. Mm. He's talking about, we can talk about Facebook, we can talk about all these creators. Pretty much when you talk about capitalism, it's always about someone exploiting somebody else. <laughs> yep. uh, follow our other podcast, Oopside Talk Politics, if this interests <laughs> yeah. you and you're not turned off by this talk. <laughs> So that show is, like all the other shows on the network, available at the flyingmachine.network website. And so all the other shows are great too, but this week I want to mention uh, Tales from the Static, which is in the middle of their new season. And it's been really great. And Ryan has a lot of cool stuff going on. And I don't know how much longer he has in the season, but definitely for, for the next couple weeks. So definitely check out. He, he has a show. lot of diversity between stuff where he pulls from like childhood memories of things. Yeah, like e- even like like um things you get in cereal. Like that was the centerpiece of like one episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like neat if you really like nostalgia and like kind of horror that's not like grotesque or gory. Yeah. And so yeah, check Tales from the Static out and all the other shows at FlyingMachine.network. And as always, support the Patreon, patreon.com slash flyingmachine, and you can hear lots of bonus episodes from us. So while we're on the topic of Patreon, I want to give a special thank you shout out to Superfan Tracy, our superest fan, for being yeah, a Yeah, Tracy! <laughs> what, what is that? It's an air horn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a Vuvuzela that I bought Vuvuzela, just, for, I thought it was. just oh, yeah. for this special occasion. So thank you very much, Tracy. We really, really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, by the time this comes out, I think I have a blog post up at the Flying Machine website. So check that out, too. I finished writing it. I haven't published it yet. But by the time this comes out, it should be out. So, yeah, take, I, by the time this comes out, he'll take the extra effort to just publish it. Right? I talk about the new Decemberist album and how it made me pull over on the side of the road to just cry because I'm so sad because we're in Trump's America. And it's it's good. But oh, whatever. shit, I got it. It's a fucking album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking reaction. And, uh, yeah, so check all that stuff out and rate and review and subscribe on iTunes and all that jazz. And, yeah, that's all I got. Take us away, Sly. Thank you all for listening to Vice of Issues. I've been going insane to prevent myself from going evil. I've been always punching my dialogue up with exclamation points. I've been stuffing a little manager into my pants. God damn it. <laughs> tower of trash. Make the tower of trash, please. Oh, please, and, please. I, and I've been constructing a tower of trash that's going to fall on slide. <laughs> Stay in continuity. I give you the incredible flying machine. <laughs>